and Steve comes from the other St Barnabas, or one of the other St Barnabas churches in our diocese, and it is St Barnabas Wood End. So, you know, when you're driving up out of Christchurch on the left there, St Barnabas Wood End. And sometimes we get uh, mail for each other, and I love the way that they call themselves, as Steve told me the other day, Upper St Barnabas and Wood End. <laughs> so you know what that makes us. Um, but it is always an immense privilege to share people's journeys um, as they reflect on God's work within their life um, thus far and get ready for a further step of commitment in God's service and wonder um, about their future ministry as it unfolds, both the joys and the challenges. And as part of my conversations with ordinands, we do talk a little about the times when ministry and life can feel like a desert, like a wilderness experience, as indeed life can for all of us at times. And we consider some of the pressures and some of the temptations that we might face. I hasten to add, we also talk about the good times, the joys and the privileges um, of serving God in this way. And of course, there are many. But it does seem appropriate, I think, for their new beginnings to be in Lent. Because our focus in Lent is on the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And the temptations and the challenges he faced right at the beginning. Uh, we heard, as uh, Freddie read, the drama of Jesus' encounter with the devil in Matthew 4. And I think it's helpful to remember how Matthew places it within his gospel. Because in the chapter before, it ended with Matthew recounting Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist. And ending with the dove coming down and that ringing endorsement from God, This is my son, the beloved with whom I am well pleased. And then right in the very next verse in chapter 4, Jesus is launched forth, led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. Notice it's the Spirit who does the leading into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now we, of course, uh, tend to see temptation in a negative light. Uh, I was talking to someone the other day when I was, uh, last time I was in Jericho, um, we were talking about, oh, it was a staff meeting, we were talking about it, um, where we think the temptations of Jesus were to the east of Jerusalem, out in the desert. And there's a wonderful souvenir shop called, naturally enough, the Temptations Souvenir Shop. Um, and uh, there we are. I think I've still got the little, little label from something I bought there. We see temptation in a negative light, something to be avoided. Jesus, as he faces temptation, though note, is full of the Holy Spirit, and he is led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness. So it seems to be a time for Jesus to reflect, to evaluate, to uh, a little bit like a retreat, if you like, before being launched forth into ministry. Just how will Jesus live out his calling as Son of God? He's just heard that wonderful affirmation from the Father. How's he going to live that out? Uh, he has this dawning sense of that he's called to be the Messiah. So how's he going to live that and act that out? There were many things he could have done. He's got some choices to make. What does it mean for him to be anointed by God's Spirit for his ministry and to be responding to the movement of the Spirit within him? How will he seek to serve God? How will he so live 
that it's clear that he gives the highest worship, and that word worship originally was worthship. Uh, how will he give the highest worship to God in his life? his ultimate loyalty in a world of so many competing loyalties. And as we see there, it was no different uh, than for us today. I'm quite um, fond of the work of an American poet, Mary Oliver. She's a, uh, she died just a couple of years ago, actually, contemporary poet. And she has this lovely poem called Summer Day. But it has these wonderful lines in it. And she's been reflecting, she's very reflective. Doesn't everything die at the last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Now that's surely what Jesus is reflecting on in these 40 days. 40 days, of course, that uh, resonate in his ears uh, and for Matthew's hearers too, thinking back to the 40 days of Noah's flood, uh, that destroying but also renewing, refining uh, power in the world. And then, of course, 40 would also remind them of the 40 years that God's people spent in the wilderness on the way from slavery in Egypt to new life in the promised land, 40 years of refining and learning and so often having to learn the same lesson over and over again. So Jesus too must have been thinking, where does he fit in God's great story of God's dealing with his people through the ages, right from those very ancient stories that we heard of Adam and Eve onwards. And then into Jesus' extended time of reflection, pops the devil. Or we might perhaps think of his ancient role as he was often termed the accuser. Perhaps we can think of those inner demons that accuse us in the wee small hours of the night sometimes when we can't sleep, that perhaps cast doubt on our identity as loved children of God and perhaps derail our confidence in God's hand on our life and future. You know those wee small voices that sometimes go round and round in our head at three or four in the morning. I think it might have been a bit like that for Jesus. We know well those temptations that we heard about appealing uh, to pride, to power, to possessions. What is going to control Jesus? There are those base level needs to feed your own creature comforts, to provide for yourself first. Interestingly enough, in that part of the desert, the stones do look a bit like round loaves of bread. Uh, you can see them there. And so you can see uh, how that, Rob's nodding, I know you've just been over in that part, part of the world. Um, that desert is so dry and hard. And of course, the challenge could be, do your magic. Turn those stones into bread, impress the crowds, uh, produce the manna. And of course, we will see that a bit later on, but Jesus had to know the time and the motivation for that. Then the lust for power, to dominate, to gain the whole world. But as Jesus would later say, what a grave risk to your soul. And then the temptation to obtain celebrity status by dramatic risk-taking, presuming on God's good graces, moving from the trust of a child 
to actually that self-aggrandizement of the youth who will jump off bridges or temples to prove a point. You can see that I would never make a bungee jumper. <laughs> yeah. Jesus is not going to do that just to show off for the sake of it or to build that celebrity status that was just as much a temptation then. Well, those are the temptations we hear about, but it could have just as easily been others. It's often said today, our challenges are money, sex and power. There's another three that go together. Or maybe wanting eternal youth, beauty and wealth, status, fame and security. What three do you think of that challenge us today? And actually, often, they're not bad things in themselves, some of them, but how easy it is for those to become corruption of what's good, things that can become addictive or that can entangle us unawares. So often, though, I think our focus can get sidetracked into just seeing temptation as things we must not do or things we shouldn't have or things we shouldn't get into. I wonder if we can see a, a bigger picture of what happens in that whole process, that in temptation or challenge, we can be tempted to turn away from God, to turn away from our identity as beloved children of God, and to put our trust and our confidence somewhere else, and sadly so often in things that prove ephemeral. They fade away or they crash and burn and we get burnt in the process. They're unable, ultimately, to sustain us and anchor us. So I wonder then if we can come back to the very first verse of our Gospel reading and just hold that whole issue of temptation within that framework of remembering that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. He was led into the wilderness, and then the temptations happened. So I wonder, can we see our grappling with temptations and challenges as just part of our discipleship journey, part of the opportunity to risk growth? Yes, we're asked to make choices, but we're also called to reflect in our spirits and with God's spirit, who's with us there. Whom do I serve? To whom do I give my greatest worship, my ultimate loyalty? So to allow temptation not just to be a negative focus that pulls us onto something else, but rather something that actually causes us to stop up short for a moment and then to allow us, as we do in Lent, to choose to turn back to God, to the one who names us and calls us, you are my child, you are the beloved, with you I am well pleased. Because I think then we get our perspective back of whose we are and whom we serve. And that's where the hope is, the possibility of choosing another way of action, another way ahead. We can then make a choice to choose life again and fullness of life. So let's keep that place. I'm glad that we see Jesus' temptations there in the gospel. We know that it was the same for Jesus as it is for us. It was part of his story. He wasn't protected from that. 
but it was in the context of Jesus' baptism and his calling, affirmed as son of God and beloved, and Jesus' part in the family history of the people of God. And then straight after the, the temptation accounts, Jesus is launched forth into ministry. And we hear, filled with the power of the Spirit, he begins to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near to us. He starts calling his disciples. He starts to teach and preach and heal. <coughs> Signs of the kingdom of God in their midst. And all of this in the power of God's Spirit. So let's notice that the Spirit of God is there before the temptations, during the temptations, and after the temptations. Jesus is never left to his own devices, and nor are we. May it be the same for us too, then, in this season of Lent. Uh, May we remember that we too have been signed by the cross of Christ in water at our baptism, whenever that was, I baptised a wee two-monther at eight o'clock this morning, little Isabella, uh, who slept right the way through, which was very nice of her. Um, Some of us last week, and um, if you weren't able to make it on Wednesday, it was a bit of an awful night, some of us were signed with the cross in ash last Wednesday. And that, if you haven't been able to yet, is something you could do at home. Um, You could take your palm cross from last year and burn it. Uh, It's better if it's had a little zip in the microwave first, I'm told. And then we make our ash and we sign ourselves with ash. Yes, it's a sign of repentance, but it's also a reminder of our baptism that God lifts us out of the ashes into new hope. So signed and claimed by Christ, we then undertake our discipleship journey together in these 40 days up to Lent. And that's a pattern of a lifetime of walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Yes, we know, like him, we'll face trials and temptations on the way. But with the support of the body of Christ, with our friends and family, our whanau together, and together coming in baptism and communion, gathering together, it helps us constantly to turn back to God, to hear again that voice that calls us child of God, beloved and then in the power of God's spirit to go out again, to choose life. Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? What is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? May we hear God ask us that again and respond with our hearts this Lent as we journey to Easter. Amen.